Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. favorite listeners it's pastor jonathan mason back in the pastor's office with you this sunday can you believe it is the first sunday in december the year is over i mean at the end of the day everybody's mind right now is focused on christmas now As a pastor, I'd like for everybody's mind to be focused on the fact that Christmas represents the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But reality being reality, everybody's focused on gift giving and different things, vacation, time with family, travel. Uh, This is the time of the year. We just passed Thanksgiving uh, and... uh, I've got to tell you that I'm excited not so much about the year ending, but about a new year beginning. Uh, because with the new year beginning, we've got so much of an opportunity uh, to implement goals and strategies that we set forth, our New Year's resolutions. And we're going to be talking about that uh, in the coming weeks. But there's something else that happens after Thanksgiving. Uh, It has been a tradition for years. We're going to learn about it today. But I got to tell you, I know since I was a child, uh, it's been a tradition that I've seen. Uh, And so I wanted to explore it a little bit with you today. And that is uh, when you go to the mall, when you go to the, the stores to shop during the holiday, you'll see somebody standing outside of the store ringing a bell with a red kettle, asking you for donations. I wanted us to really understand what this campaign is all about. Wanted to give it some attention because it is such a worthy cause. And we're going to learn about that today. So I want to welcome into the pastor's office, Major Tony Cohen Xanders. I, I said it slow because I want to make sure I said it right. Uh, did I get your name right, Major? Well, it's actually Cowan Xanders. Uh, as a kid, I really wished it was Cohen because uh, <laughs> as a kid, as a kid growing up, you don't really want your last name to have cow in it, but that's all right. This is my father's name. so. <laughs> all right, so let me say it correctly. We're welcoming into the pastor's office for the very first time Major Tony Cowan Zanders. Uh, she is the Salvation Army Divisional Secretary for Greater Philadelphia. That's right. We're going to learn about the Salvation Army Red Kettle Campaign. Major, come on in the pastor's office and welcome. 
Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So, so first of all, uh, of course, all of us have heard of the Salvation Army, uh, and and many of us probably have been uh, blessed by the Salvation Army. All right, fun fact: I got to share this with my listeners because uh, a major, uh, the one thing that I always tell my listeners is you can't be ashamed of where you came from. So, so I went to college in Norfolk, Virginia. I uh, went to Norfolk State University, uh, and like many other college students when I got out of college and let's be and be honest even when I was in college I was broke I mean I was so broke I could not pay attention uh, uh, but the Salvation Army in Norfolk had a thrift shop major mm-hmm. I went into that thrift shop in Norfolk and furnished my whole post-college apartment for about hundred seventy dollars you couldn't tell me anything I, I was <laughs> You are not the first, and you won't be the last. That is a common story that I hear. That's right. So I, a sofa, bedroom set, uh, uh, everything. Uh, so I was blessed by the Salvation Army uh, in that way, and it will forever be emblazoned in my heart and mind. And, and the funny thing that uh, one of my buddies used to say to me, he said, listen, if somebody see you over at the thrift shop, don't worry about it, because they don't want you to know that they were there either. So, so <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but listen, listen, oh, listen. So tell us a little bit about the Salvation Army mission. Uh, tell us a little sure. bit about that today. Absolutely. So the Salvation Army was established in 1865 in London, England. Our founders, William and Catherine Booth, uh, William was a Methodist uh, minister, and his goal ultimately was to bring people into the Methodist Church, but he was in London, England. It was during uh, Victorian uh, times, and back then you had to pay a a pew tax. So what he would do is he would go and he would just preach on the streets of London, and he would encourage um, those who, who heard the Word and who accepted Jesus into their hearts to go to church. And they were coming back to him and saying, Reverend, Nobody will let us in because we don't look like them, because we can't pay uh, like them. And so in the very beginning, that's kind of how the Salvation Army started and became this worldwide movement that really, um, as our our mission statement states, um, in part, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in His name without discrimination. Wow. So uh, from that time to 2022, the Salvation Army has made a major impact, as you said, not only on the country, but on the world at large. Talk to us about some of the projects that the Salvation Army is engaged in. Sure. The Salvation Army, while we are an international organization, and so we have the benefits of being a part of an international organization, we're very localized as well. So the need, the way the Salvation Army looks here in Philadelphia isn't necessarily how it looks in London, where we began, in India. Um, we, can, we can react to the needs that the local community 
needs. We, we can service their needs. And, you know, certainly um, throughout the world, we have one of our major programs that um, we work with, with anti-human trafficking efforts to combat that, which is one of our largest programs here in Philadelphia. Many people may not realize that, but we are working and walking along with individuals who have been trafficked, and we're there to say to them, we're here for you right now. We'll be with you from the time at, at, as you need us, and we will until you don't need us anymore. That we're going to walk with you um, here in Philadelphia. You know, we have uh, family emergency shelters for those who don't have a place to lay their heads. But also at that same place, it's not just about having a place to lay your head. It's also having a place to say. Let us help you. You've fallen on hard times. Let us help you so that you can get a home of of your own. We always say, this is not your final stop. As soon as somebody checks in with us, we say, this is not your final stop. We're grateful to be here for you, but we know that that you're going to be moving on and we're going to give you the tools that you need for that. We have senior housing um, across the city as well. We're doing after-school programming. We do rec programs. We're doing, of course, um, throughout the city with our various community centers, um, offering comprehensive emergency social services. And that's the small snippet of what the Salvation Army does here in Philadelphia. But across the world and across the country, the Salvation Army is simply saying, what is the human need and how can we assist um, to to be a part of that? Wow. Wow. So so that brings us to the Red Kettle campaign. And as I shared with the listeners earlier, uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, the, the, the officers of the Salvation Army and their Red Kettles pop up all over the place, uh, raising ding, ding, funds. Ding, Absolutely. Right? <laughs> Going into every store and every mall. Uh, uh, tell us about that Red Kettle campaign and how these funds are used. Sure. You know, it's interesting, uh, Pastor, that I hear... Many individuals tell me that their first philanthropic experience was getting a quarter from their mom or from their grandma, from their dad, and putting it in that kettle, and how it made them feel that they were a part of something that was greater than themselves. And that really is what that red kettle does. The reality is is that individuals may think that they're just putting some change in there. But but I say to people all the time, a little bit of change makes a whole lot of change. Because what happens is when somebody who's at Walmart or who's at ShopRite or, you know, Walgreens, that someone that when, when you put in a little bit of change and you know, another person puts in a little bit of change and another person puts in a little bit of change. All that change comes together and it creates change and it changes lives. And the money goes not just to Christmas. Um, of course, it does uh, provide our, you know, funds our Christmas assistance efforts, which is, you know, that we want to make sure that there's not a child in the city who will be forgotten at Christmas time because it matters to a kid. I know some people may think, a toy, is that really necessary? Come on, we all went to school, right? That's right? Everybody that first day after Christmas was showing off whatever they got, right? And it it matters how you feel. Um, and I always fe- say that on Christmas morning, 
there are children across the city who know that they weren't forgotten, that somebody thought of them. And also there are parents who are doing the best they can, right? They are hustling as hard as they can. But I'm sure for you, I'm sure you shop at the same grocery stores I shop at, and I can't believe how expensive things are. You have to start making decisions. Are you going to put food on the table? Um, Or are you going to make sure your kid has a nice Christmas? That's something that we can take um, off of their shoulders. But that change that's in that kettle, it also changes lives throughout the year. It helps to fund our our, our food pantries where um, where individuals and families will be able to um, have food, have nutritious food, um, food that will help feed the brain, right, feed the body so that kids can study without those hunger pains so that adults who are at work can focus on their work and to do a good job because they're not hungry and for seniors as well. It also goes to our after-school programming. We know that this pandemic, there has been a real loss for it for the children. But the Salvation Army is saying, we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to make sure that that the children who need us um, won't fall behind um, so, so, that, so that they can succeed in life. Also, with our, our recreational programs, the change helps so that we can... We can have be a safe place for individuals to come into the door, and they don't have to worry about any any violence on the street. That they can have a safe place inside of our buildings. It goes to the change goes to our emergency housing, where again, where someone will will know that um, they just don't have a place to lay their heads, but they have a place where they can regroup and that they can be at peace, so that they can plan for their next steps. It also goes to our supportive housing programs. This little bit of change, that that quarter that somebody puts in, that all goes to help us as we wrap our arms around individuals so that they can, um, so that they have the tools so that they can live independently. It also goes, as I shared earlier, about our our anti-human trafficking programs as well. Um, There are individuals who have had horrific things happen to them. However, we can say, you can trust us. We're here for you. We will walk with you until you you can walk on your own. It goes to our, our senior programs. That little bit of change goes to our senior programs where individuals where they live, it's senior housing, but it's not just senior housing. It's also a place where these individuals, as they begin to age, as maybe their friends are starting to pass away, maybe their family's not living around, we become their family for them, um, helping them to navigate all of the systems that um, that happen and the change that happens, not just the monetary change, but the change that happens in life, right, as things move to everything being on the computer and all of that. We're there to help the seniors navigate the various social service systems that they need so that they can make sure they have what they need as well. And, of course, it also, the change goes to our emergency disaster services program where when there's a fire, I was just down in Florida for the for Hurricane Ian um, offering assistance in that regard, and it goes to help individuals who have had, who have literally had their world ex- explode around them so that we can be there, we can wrap their arms around them and to be that strong shoulder 
as they simply weep what was, and then they start to plan on what will be. And when you look at it that way, that quarter, that little bit of change that you put in that kettle, God takes it, and quite honestly, as, as a person of faith, I think of it as the fish and the loaves. He multiplies it in ways that we can't even imagine, and that there are baskets left over. That is that is the blessing of of the the Red Kettle campaign, and for me to be a part of it year after year. However, God does it; He just performs miracles, and what a blessing it is to be a part of that experience. Wow! I, I, I normally will interject and 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 move the conversation but that was such a wonderful statement i just had to let you go on uh <laughs> thank you so much for sharing uh the benefits of supporting the red kettle campaign for the salvation army now for those of our listeners that may want to get more information about the salvation army why don't you share where they can find you on social media because we want to make sure we support this effort absolutely we really encourage you to go to sa philly org is our landing page, and you can it will give you explicit instructions on on um, whatever you want to do. And I would say that um, we at the Salvation Army we have something for everybody. So whatever will make your heart sing, whether it is to to volunteer, to 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 donate monetarily, or if someone doesn't have that, if someone doesn't have the time or the resources, just read up on what we do and share information out there about for for those who are in need, share with them to say you can get help at, at, at the Salvation Army or just to, to be to be a spokesperson for us so that we can keep the message going because it's about keeping the love going. Major Tawny Cowan Zanders, thank you so much for joining us in the pastor's office this afternoon. And all God's best on a successful Red Kettle campaign in 2022. And all God's best in all that you and the Salvation Army do. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you so much. God bless. Bye. Bye Bye-bye now. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Don't go away because we're going to be talking to former judge James DeLeon, who has announced his candidacy for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. We'll be right back. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, we are back in the pastor's office, and we want to thank again Major Tawny Cowan Zanders uh, for being with us and discussing the Salvation Army Red Kettle campaign. Now, here's what I got to say. I got to say this because this is amazing. This is a small world. So as we were uh, uh, closing out our conversation uh, with the major, and I was thanking her for doing the show, she says to me, did you say that? James DeLeon was going to be on? I said, yeah, he's coming on. I said, I've, I told her I've interviewed all the candidates for mayor so far. He just announced, so it's now his turn to come on. She said, he is an amazing human being. And, and I said, well, how, how do you know him? She says, well, he, he's a swim instructor. He, he, he taught swimming down at the Croc. And my husband works there. And, and he always talks about how wonderful this man is. I, I got to be honest with you. 
I felt like my booker may have hired somebody from from DeLeon's campaign to open up the show today. She must be getting paid uh, for how positively she spoke about our next guest. But what I want to do right now is welcome into the pastor's office, former municipal court judge for 34 years, James DeLeon. Did you have somebody, uh, did you put a plan on my show, sir? No, I would never do that, but it's great to be on your show, and, and the major is a wonderful person. You know, she's, she's a, a, a great pastor, so you having her on the show just just talked about how great your show is. Well, listen, we, we, we certainly appreciate you coming into the pastor's office. It is, a gr- it is great to make your acquaintance. Uh, I want to, first of all, let you know. Uh, that I have interviewed Alan Dom, I've interviewed Sherelle Parker, Derek Green, Maria, Rebecca, and now you. The only one we're waiting on now is Jeff Brown, and if he doesn't come on the show, I'm going to have something to say about that. But we've had an yeah. opportunity to interview all of the candidates, and I say the same thing uh, each time we bring a candidate on the show. Uh, I want to know why Philly's going to be better under a DeLeon administration, but because uh, you are not the typical candidate. You're an atypical candidate. You're coming from the bench, having retired after 34 years, to, to come and enter this race. Uh, uh, before we go there, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, myself, I, as, as you just stated, I was a municipal court judge for 34 years. Um, during that time, I heard basically homicide cases. So you can imagine, if, and I've had some of the uh, most notorious homicide cases to come through Philadelphia over the last um, hundred years. Besides that, I'm a water safety instructor, just like the major said. I've been teaching swimming ever since I was uh, 12 years old. I'm a certified lifeguard. And uh, from time to time, I do have to go in the water and, and pull somebody out. I, I save lives. That's my job. My job is to save lives. Just like your job is to save lives, except you do it on the spiritual basis. Yes, sir. I do it on the I do it on the physical basis. All right. I actually All have right. to have to put my life on the line to um, to save another person's life, and that's what I'm trained for. I was trained for that as a military officer, and I did that way as a judge. Uh, as a judge, my job was to save the lives of, of Philadelphians to make sure that they were safe, and that's the reason why I got into the race was to make Philadelphians safe. Now, like I said, over the last 34 years, I'm watching. Well, first, I was hearing about people being killed. Uh, I would hear statements from the murderers. I would hear statements from the survivors. I, and that was basically how it was done for about the first 20 years. Um, well, over the last, well, for the first 20 years of my 34 years. Then over the last 14 years, it started to change where first we were getting grainy black and white of the murders taking place, where we couldn't make out who the perpetrator was, but we did have still statements and we still have witnesses. So over the last seven to eight years, basically the murders are in HD. Uh, You see it and also you hear it. So you can imagine if I'm seeing and hearing people getting killed on a daily basis. And um, it, it sickens me. It, it, it made me so mad that I started to write about ways to um, alleviate the gun violence. 
and I would send out what I wrote to various um, legislators, uh, to the mayors, to uh, the governor, to various people, the church, and the church would answer me back. Like I'm Catholic, uh, I was I was raised Catholic, and the church would answer me back and 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 give me all the support. Uh, a couple of Supreme Court justices, like Chief Justice Castile, he loved what I would write and he gave me support. But I would never hear anything back from the mayor's office. Um, and one time when when the present mayor went into office, I actually met with his people and gave them the plan on how to alleviate gun violence. But I guess he wanted to go off the uh, accolades of, of Mayor Nutter, so he didn't pay any attention to me. And, and the gun violence situation just skyrocketed. So I just got frustrated, and I got sick and tired of so many people getting killed. So I decided that the only way to get a voice out there and to get my plans out there on how to uh, reduce the uh, gun violence was to run for mayor. So I threw my hat in the ring so I could have a forum to talk about how to reduce gun violence. And that's why I'm here. All right. So your main focus is uh, reducing crime in the city. But, man, you've got you've got career politicians that are lining up for this seat, uh, lining up to become the 100th mayor of the historic city of Philadelphia. And then you've got a couple rich businessmen. Uh, how do you break through? How do you get through the clutter and the noise? Well, I'm going to tell the truth. To me, I have to chuckle a little bit because it's almost like watching the the foxes try to run the hen house in the sense that they've been in power. They've been legislators the whole time. And it amazes me that they don't they haven't come up with programs to to alleviate gun violence. They they know what the problem is, but they haven't come up with any solutions to it and they don't listen for solutions. So now that they're running, I've looked at their website and on none of their websites do they do they have any solutions. They just want to be mayor. I want to be mayor and when I become mayor, I'm going to um you know, bring something about to to alleviate gun violence. But they don't have it now. But I have the plans now on how to alleviate gun violence. I have specific logistical plans that will end the suffering of Philadelphia. All right. And that's what I'm bringing to the table. All right. Well, listen, share some of them with us because, again, I always tell my listeners that an engaged and informed constituent base makes the right decisions. So you say you've got answers. You say you've got solutions. Talk to us. How do we get rid of this gun violence? Okay. So let's do I'm, – I'm going to give you something that's going to be a little complicated at first, and then I'm going to break it down for you. So nationally, they, there's a system called – the National Incident System. Basically, you know it that whenever there's a catastrophe, uh, the national government goes into operation and they start bringing various local and national organizational components together to alleviate the suffering of the people as far as what they're going through, such as uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, um, any natural disaster, any type of um, unnatural disaster, like when, when in Florida when the, um, when the condominium fell down. So I have, I've come up with something called the local incident management system, which is geared similar, but it deals with 
what we have at the local level. And what happens is, all, say like gun violence, all we do is declare gun violence uh, incidents that needs solving immediately. And then based on that, we start taking various organizations, various components like the uh, neighborhood groups, the court, um, various uh, organizations that are aligned with the mayor's office, and we take them and we put them into the areas of employment, education. We put those into the areas that are having those particular problems, and we uplift the people in those areas. We uplift, you know, community groups need to be uh, funded. So we put, we uplift, uplift the community groups within that area. So um, let's now go break it to you in a, in a simplistic terms. So let's say that the mayor is a carpenter. And let's say the city government is his toolbox. So let's say he has a job, like uh, a job to, uh, to do, like gun violence. So what the carpenter would do, he would go into his toolbox. He would see what tools he needs to do the job. He would take those tools out of his toolbox and apply them to the job to solve the job. And, that's the, and you can do that with, with any job that you have. So that's the beauty of the limb system. All you do, like homelessness, all you would do is just um, call homelessness a dramatic incident. That homelessness in the city of Philadelphia is a dramatic incident. And what are we going to do? What do we have in the toolbox that can solve homelessness? And you see them solving homelessness on certain extent when you watch what the city does with uh, refugees, and the bus people that come from Texas, if, if you see, they meet them and they have uh, logistics and programs set up where these people come right in. They're, they're given homes. They're given jobs. They're given education. Um, they're given uh, comfort and they're given stability. And that's the exact same thing that a LIMS program could do for homelessness. So uh, you see what I'm saying? I do. I do. I, you know, I've always wondered, though, and this is just, and I do this with all the candidates, maybe one of my ideas to get through. We got so many abandoned buildings in Philadelphia. You know, why wouldn't we invest some money and renovate those buildings and use those to house some of our homeless people? It just, <laughs> to me, it's just, you put your money into the things that are important. And, and, and clearly, we're not investing as a city enough money into our homeless population. And it really does trouble me. But let, let, let's talk about this real quick. I hear you talking about gun violence. I hear you talking about the solutions you have there. And certainly as the campaign goes forward, we want to explore more of that with you. But Philadelphians are going to want to know where you stand on other issues that are important to them. Uh, our young people lost a lot during the pandemic with virtual learning. Uh, they also, and also through virtual learning, we realized that our buildings were far out of date. Uh, and need a lot of work. We found out that young people, if they're going to learn virtually, if they're going to have to do assignments uh, at home as opposed to in the physical school workspace, they got to have internet at the house. They got to have a workspace at the house. All of this was uncovered during the pandemic, or a light was shined brightly on things we already knew. During a De Leon administration, what do we do about our young people in the school system? Well, you know, the first thing is safety of, of our school, of, of, of our children. The, the fact is that we have to make sure that our children go to school safely and, come, and can come home safely. 
The one thing we do not want is for a parent to get a phone call that something has happened with their child. So that violence that we're talking about is very important um, as, far as, as far as education is concerned. Now, the second, as you go to education, let's look at education and let's look at it as a, um, as a house. Okay, now when you look at a house, you've got like four walls. So what are the four walls of education? You have the parent, the student, the teacher, and the school. So what you want to do is that you want to solidify your base, which is solidifying the school itself um, along with the parent, the teacher, and the student in order so that the parent can help the student learn, the teacher can help the student learn, the the teacher has the tool, well, the student has the tools to learn. So you have to take a look at the school. Now, the problem that we have, and this is one of the problems that I'm sure you didn't bring it up with all these candidates that were in charge of our school system, but our schools in Philadelphia have a reading level that is 35% below the national level, and their math is 58% below the national level. Now, of course, they're not going to say anything about that, but all that is taking place on their watch. So what we have to do is go down to the basics, just like I said, go back to the foundation, and we have to strengthen that foundation. We have to go to each one of those uh, schools that are not performing, and we have to give that neighborhood, give those schools what they need in order to perform, what those children need in order to perform, because, again, what my candidates uh, uh, did not say is that we are set up for a school-to-prison pipeline, and I want to change that and make it a school-to-factory pipeline. We're talking to former judge, former municipal court judge, James DeLeon, who served for 34 years. He has announced his candidacy for mayor of the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and so we're talking to him about issues that are important to you. Uh, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about black and brown businesses in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, we are really uh, focused on this show, uh, on promoting black and brown businesses, on helping to provide resources for black and brown businesses. Uh, a lot of our businesses have been devastated over the last couple of years. I mean, even Philly's Favor is a small black-owned business. Uh, uh, what type of support, what type of uh, legislation or plans do you have for small businesses and businesses owned by those that are black and brown? Well, I'll tell you, um, about 22 years ago, I had a course at, at Wharton. It was called Small Business Management. And in that class, there were 57 students. I was the only student of color, and I was the only student that didn't have their own business. And what Wharton did was it brought these, me included, 57 people together and nurtured them on how to build their business to become an IPO, an initial public offering. They, they brought Price Waterhouse in. They brought all the components in that you would need to connect with in order for your business to go public. All 56 of those people, other than myself, because I was a judge, but I wanted to learn, all 56 of those businesses went public. 
they were sold each one on the stock exchange. And some of them now are billionaires from being in that course and, and, and making their business go public 22 years ago. So what Penn had was a nurturing program where they brought those people together and showed them what they could do in order to grow. And that's what I want to do for Philadelphia. So what I would do, I the first one of the first people that I would appoint to my cabinet would be a commissioner of small business success. And out of that, we would nurture businesses, small businesses, and of course, being a black person, I am highly concerned with making sure that black businesses prosper. And I would also be concerned, like before, I want to get back to um, 25% of all contracts go to um, black and 10% of all contracts go to female. So I want to get back on that as well and make sure that that's taking place. So that's my plan. And that's what I would do to make sure that we have strong businesses, not just black, but across the board. One of the one of the things that that helps one to have a successful campaign is having a great team around them. Uh, I know you just announced, and I know you know running for mayor probably wasn't on your mind a year ago. Talk to us about the team that you've assembled. Talk to us about uh, those that are coalescing behind you to support this effort. Well, see, when you talk about the team, you're you're talking about individuals that hopefully are loyal to the candidate. So I have people that are loyal to me, and it's a small team that's growing. Some of the people that have just come on the team over the last week, because I only made the announcement last Tuesday, they don't want to be, they're national people, and they don't want to be known as of yet while they put my team together. So all I can say is that the team is a loyal team, and the team are people that will be working with me on behalf of the citizens of Philadelphia for their safety. Judge James DeLeon, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. Before you go, uh, are there any social media tags or websites that you want to direct our listeners to uh, to get more information about your campaign? Yes. I would direct them to info. That's D-E-L-E-O-N-F-O-R-M-A-Y-O-R dot I-N-F-O. And that will have my platform. It will have, and I, I, I ask them to take a look at the candidates, the other candidates' platform, and what they have on their website. And don't get carried away because it looks pretty. Get to, you know, don't look at the, at the fluff. Look at the substance. And when you look at the substance of my website, as to what I'm bringing to this table as opposed to theirs, you'll see why I feel that I'm the person that can keep this city safe and make this city uh, move forward in the manner that it should. All right, Judge James DeLeon, candidate for mayor, city of Philadelphia. Make sure you go to his website, get the information. What do I always tell you? An informed and engaged constituent base will make the right decisions, and we can't afford to make the wrong decision in 2023. Sir, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office, and we look forward to talking to you as the campaign continues to move forward. I really appreciate you having me on today, and God bless you. God bless you, sir. Mm -hmm. Political spirit.
rich and maybe some life while you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.